Welcome to the Data Able Podcast, where Dave Mathias and Matt Jesser dive into data. Each week, they cover the culture, knowledge, and practices that successful organizations, leaders, and individuals use to get value out of data. Welcome to another episode of Data Able. Today on the podcast, we're trying something just a little bit different. For those of you who may not know, Dave, my esteemed podcast partner, has actually been traveling through Africa and Europe for the past two and a half months as a part of a program called Remote Year. During his time in Cape Town, South Africa, Dave was introduced to our next guest, Jeff Sloan, who is also a part of Remote Year. Jeff is a self-prescribed data product manager, and they thought it would be fun to try recording some of their conversations around data. So, They packed up their gear, headed over to a local coffee shop, and set up the mic, and just started chatting about data, business intelligence, product management, and how these disciplines are all starting to intersect. If you hear banging dishes or cars driving by, uh, feel free to imagine sitting outside, sipping lattes on a lovely warm day in an open-air coffee shop in downtown Cape Town, South Africa. I'm only just a little bit jealous. Here's some uh, of the best parts of Dave and Jeff's conversation. So today we're here with uh, Jeff Sloan. Uh, Jeff and I actually met on our part of, both part of Remote Year. Uh, he was a former Remote Year person, but he's also a data product manager. So he's done this at some different industries and in e-commerce and real estate. Tell us a little bit more, Jeff, what you've done in the, the and what a data product manager really is. For sure. So I think a data product manager is uh, it's a new term. It's very much a new term, but the way that I think about it is is thinking about uh, a data product manager is responsible for thinking about the data infrastructure at a business to empower not only analytics, but also to empower A-B testing, machine learning down the road. So a data product manager is imagining the entire data stack itself as a product to be consumed by the rest of the business, whatever, whatever that may be. Um, in terms of what I've done, I started in BI and I was helping companies use uh, business intelligence, making decisions using the RJ Metric software. That was my first employer. And I then moved into a company where uh, I was using RJ Metrics, but then found myself quickly needing to build out the data stack for scale for the business, uh, for the business's needs in the future and, and understanding what those needs were and kind of having the forward guidance uh, took me, or the forward thinking took me out of being just an analyst anymore and, and it had me thinking much more in a product mindset around uh, what key pieces of infrastructure we need and, and what does that infrastructure need to do in order to allow us not only to do my role, which was analytics and and uh, remained analytics mostly through most of my time there, but also allow us to then advance into other areas and uses of our data. Um, and that's that's kind of where you find me today. So first thing, what is your super, your data superpower? Oh man, uh, data superpower. Um, if I were to pick out one, I think, uh, don't, that's a great question, number one. My data superpower is probably using data more like a, a scalpel than a sledgehammer. Um, I think that thinking in terms of what is the simplest way to get an answer that is good enough is something that comes naturally for me uh, versus going down a rabbit hole and trying to answer something in the most complex way. Um, so I think especially in a startup world, that's very, very useful. 
uh, because there's oftentimes very limited data, uh, you can't do all these things, and and so there's a necessity to to come at it a little bit differently and answer questions. You've got to be thinking what's good enough because there's so many things I could be doing right mm -hmm. now. Well, and that's really like your say data then product management. I mean that really's got to help in both roles because I think there's just there's always just too much coming if you're a product manager. So what's good enough that you make a decision on, right? So absolutely, yeah. I think there's actually beginning to be a little bit of a blend between the disciplines, especially using the lens of almost software engineering and scrum within analytics mm -hmm. to begin thinking about analytics as as a iterative process mm -hmm. so you have you can have prioritization around these things and that's actually how i managed my work uh, most recently at emove we we implemented a whole prioritization sprint planning sizing that type of work and it's a nice lens to to put put the work into because it forces you to have these tight bounds around the, the work and what you plan on delivering. Uh, so I think I think in the broader world of analytics, that's becoming more and more true. More people are, are speaking about uh, organizing their analytics teams and organizing their analytics work in this, this process. But it's it's been very useful for me to also think about analytics in that way. Uh, so here's a question. It almost sounds like a dating question. If you were a data viz, what would you be and why? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little uh, bit about it. It's like that Rorschach test, right? Like, oh you know. man! So I I like the lovely bar chart. Organized naturally, highest to lowest. It shows you exactly what you need to see very quickly. Well, you, what labeled. you see is what you get. <laughs> you know, you can boom, straight and narrow. And I definitely, if I definitely would not want to be a pie chart, which is the the opposite. <laughs> I would not want to be obtuse and confusing. I could go on for ages about, charts, about yeah. my, my relationship <laughs> with pie charts, but I'll stop it there. Okay. <laughs> so do you have a super uh, data superhero and who is that? If I look up to, to anyone in, in data, I, I will actually, one does come to mind. Um, so I, I think of uh, Tristan Handy at uh, Fishtown Analytics. It's a little consulting company in Philadelphia that helps predominantly startups uh, with the cold start problem of analytics. Uh, hiring, uh, frequently a business wants to get started with analytics, but they don't want to hire somebody full time. They don't know where to, well, what products to use and what things they should do. And, and I think that he's providing a lot of thought leadership in this space, uh, writes a lot of great content, and he, he manages uh, a, a little newsletter called the Data Science Roundup that has been incredibly useful for me to keep on top of trends. Um, in addition to that, they, his, his forward thinking on data modeling and data analytics almost as a subset of engineering or, or where analytics is, is could benefit by taking on some of those practices is something that I think is is uh, really, really novel and innovative. So I uh, definitely keep an eye on what he's doing and I'm inspired by what, the work that he does. Cool, I will share a link in the show notes for that. So that, that's awesome. And so getting away from just straight data talk, but what's your favorite book? My favorite book? Yes, of all time. Who would like, what book do you give the most to somebody or like oh, wow. that you recommend the most to somebody? What book do I recommend the most to somebody? So. Um, on a kind of literary, literature level, it's, it's The Secret History by Donna Tartt. It's a uh, why done it versus a who done it type of murder mystery, and, and I think that it's just a fascinating play between um, 
Greek mythology, and then it's also a mystery, and it's it's a fantastic novel uh, for those who haven't read it. Uh, this is where this is also coming coming to play. I'm not just a data person. I actually study literature in, in university, um, and so I would recommend that probably nine well well over any professional books. But uh, if I were to recommend any particular professional book, which is I imagine probably what most readers would or most listeners would want to, I think to hear, like all, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it would actually be um, uh, the Coaching Habits, uh, which is a a great little book emphasizing kind of seven questions that you can use to, to coach people uh, to better understanding and better learning. So that way they, they kind of come at things and grow themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, it also gives you a lot of useful tips on how to manage your peers and help coach them. It's really useful, I think, in the in the data analytics space mm -hmm. where you're helping to guide people through, through, through numbers and through visualizations um, to coming up with the answer themselves so that you can really they can really feel like they own their decision and they really own their answer. Awesome. That's, yeah. And we'll maybe dive a little bit more into that because I think that, that is a, a challenge and I'd love to hear some, what you've done there to see that as effective and, and maybe from the book or other experiences that you've had. If there is a uh, blog or podcast out there that you'd recommend um, around data, is there uh, what would that be? Uh, you, you mentioned the one newsletter. Is there anything else that you would uh, recommend to listeners? Um, other than the data science roundup, I would recommend taking a look at uh, Locally Optimistic. It is an excellent blog. Both Locally Optimistic and, and Fishtown Analytics maintain different Slack groups mm -hmm. as well. Uh, those are excellent resources for those in the field, people trading information. Cool. And so, talking, I think you mentioned eMove, right, is, is the most recent place you were at, I believe, right? Um, and that's in uh, the real estate area, right? Yes. And so tell us a little bit more about, you know, what in your most recent role as like a, a data product manager, what that looked like. And I know you're going to be looking, you're looking at maybe a, a future role that's coming up, but can't talk about that right now. But talk a little bit about EMU because we talked about a little bit about the, just how real estate and how, you know, data is being used better from a product manager's perspective and, and what that looks like to you. For sure. So in a real estate context, I think what's really, really, there's a lot of data. There's a lot of data to be looking at. There's a lot of data that is um, out there on the internet, uh, on, on home sales. And there's the big questions of what data should we be looking at and, and why should we be looking at it and, and how do we process all that data? And it's, it's a problem for any type of company, but it's a, it's a big problem for, for real estate companies as well. Uh, especially because they're so, their their success is oftentimes as a result of the market conditions around them. So understanding the market conditions is very very important. So when you, because you've been in a more startup environments, and and so when you're in that startup environment, how do you, how do you start? Like, I mean, I think this is one of the challenges yep. that a lot of people talk about in data analytics. Like, hey, we want to do this. Hey, there's so many opportunities. How do you go about that? And I think probably this also helps as a product management role. Like, hey, like, how do you prioritize? How do <laughs> yeah. you go about that? Like, tell a little bit more about that process. Like, just that beginning stage, and then how that evolves at a startup. For sure. So I think there's there's a couple really important inflection inflection points as you're thinking about data at at your business. I think in the early days, say like less than 15 employees, 20 employees. Um, there's 
everyone knows that you need to use data to make decisions and, and things like that, but provided you're collecting the data using uh, things like Google Analytics and your database and uh, whatever tools you're using, um, if you're making software of any type, making sure you're doing some type of event tracking, either using Mixpanel or a Heap or something like that, uh, you're able to make pretty good decisions based off of the fact that you don't have that many users, you know those users particularly well, and, and then the, the data that's provided by these platforms. So I think sometimes people get paralyzed at these early stages around um, what should I be tracking, and, uh, and I need to make every decision with data. But I do think in those early days, Founders and businesses generally are so close to the business and what's happening that they can make pretty good instinctual decisions, validated or invalidated by, by those data sources. I think where things start getting a little bit more complex is when you move to the 30 to, to 50 person range, um, where it becomes much more important to set up key pieces of infrastructure and start thinking about your data as a product that you want to leverage moving forwards and, and uh, your data uh, being, the products off of that data being competitive advantages for, for you and your team. Um, it also happens to be the point where, where missteps in the process I think can have some severe consequences, uh, some severe costs uh, where taking on a specific tool and baking in all this, putting in all this work in there will make it a nightmare to migrate later on. Uh, so I'd say in the early days, uh, just iterating and trying to find product market fit is the, is the biggest thing. And, and using, using data uh, in a very agile way, in a very lightweight way, is, is more important than, than really kind of uh, going super heavy handed and thinking about it in, in real, real detail. But once you get to that 30, that 30 person mark as a business, that's when you're where a, as a founding team and as an executive team, you might get removed a little bit from the day-to-day -day happenings in the business and the, and the actual interactions with customers uh, to the point where it's necessary to have a strong foundation that's funneling up this information to you around the performance of the business um, and doing that in a way that is, is scalable into the future. That makes a lot of sense. And so if you're a person that's, let's say, that we're going to look at this at both angles. Like, If you're a data person looking to you're in that startup and you're that first data person and you wanted to make that transition like you did to product, how do they go about that? Um, so, you know, they see this, they want to get more involved and obviously um, from a uh, product person, you, you feel like you have a little bit more over control over like the fate and, and influence on the company. How, how does a data person move into a product person? Because I think that that's your story. That's how you came about. For sure. What you're doing. There, there are a couple ways to transition from, from being an analyst and moving into product. And I think um, I'll talk about A, the process, the processes to put in place to that show that um, as an analyst, you're thinking about things in, in terms of, uh, in a kind of a product manner, prioritization and, and um, scoping and that type of stuff. But then also I think there are certain product projects that very much an analyst or somebody with a data background is is very well equipped to, to, to handle and take on. So on one hand, on the process side, I think 
taking a lot of ownership over the 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 process by which analytics gets done and, and defining a process to begin with is is a very big way that an analyst can prove themselves capable of, of those complex stakeholder relationships and the product management requires, especially in a team setting where there are multiple resources being leveraged. I think things like prioritization and uh, scoping the and then kind of sprint burn down reports, all that stuff shows to a product team, hey, like these the, these guys are speaking our language as well. Um, and it's a very translatable skill. The projects themselves that I think are really useful for, for for product teams to look at data people for, and that data people should probably raise their hand for if they're interested in moving into product. Uh, one is uh, one is data migrations. So uh, this is certainly true of um, of my case. We had at eMove we merged with uh, a competitor of ours, and we. We're planning on pulling out their customer data from their database and moving it into ours. And if you know the data really, really well in, in one database, that solves half of half of the problem. Uh, it's a good launch pad into then understanding how uh, all the different other aspects of the project itself and product management, working with uh, support teams, marketing teams, and, and all these different th all these different areas of the business. The other project that I think it's becoming more and more common, which is really, really interesting to me, is embedded analytics. So a lot of platforms want to see charts and graphs in their platform. And I'll, the same toolkit that allows many analysts to develop really useful dashboards for business users are they're the same, the same processes and thought patterns that are really useful to develop great dashboards for end users, you know, thinking about how are they going to use it, what actions are they going to take when they see this data, um, which might not necessarily be intuitive to a product person coming from a UI UX standpoint. Sometimes uh, it's a little bit different, as well as just having the wherewithal to wireframe and do things a little bit more quickly uh, be a really useful project to dip your, dip your toes into to the product management world. Cool. And so what has been the biggest challenge when you made that transition from a data person to data product person? What was that biggest challenge that you faced that you thought? Mm. So I think that the biggest challenge, but also the most rewarding piece of making the transition, as a, as a data person, I think as an analyst, you're, you're kind of a bit player. You know, you're part of an entire project. Um, helping product teams make decisions around what features to prioritize or uh, whether that tested really well. Um, but when you move into the product world, all of a sudden, you have a lot more oversight and, and ownership over the entire project itself. No longer can you uh, really hide and say, oh, well, marketing didn't get me that thing uh, because if if the project doesn't complete, that's, that's on your shoulders. And I was really fortunate to have some mentors within the product team at eMove who really helped encourage an entrepreneurial mindset and that ownership mindset that uh, you know, if, if something isn't necessarily progressing as quickly as, as you'd like, there are all these tools at your disposal to, uh, to try to progress that, that particular part of the project. Um, 
but uh, kind of sitting back and, and watching it happen is not one of them. Uh, whereas an analyst, as long as you provide your analysis and you do that little piece on time, you're good to go. Uh, here you have to make sure that everybody, especially in a startup environment, uh, everybody is, is doing their things on time or making the key decision that you can do without or do with these things arriving at a later date. Uh, so I think a, that's, that's a challenge because it's a mindset, mind, uh, mindset shift, but in addition to that, it's, it's super rewarding because uh, you're able to dip your fingers in all these different things and you're responsible for the delivery of a massive amount of value. So you talk about e-move a little bit and it's the industry of real estate and like, you know, the, the, it's an industry that, and we always talk about like disrupting industries and like we're going to try to change things and obviously it's a, a pretty entrenched industry anyone that's bought a house or done that so how do you um as a data product manager go about thinking about this do you think differently and like approaching uh you know because there's the, the discussion of data driven or data informed organizations or you know use your your term but how do you create that data-informed or data-driven organization to help disrupt an industry? Talk a little bit about that, that path and what worked well and what, was, what became more challenging. So I think it's important to recognize where your stakeholders are and their, their journey with understanding data. And, and certainly in the real estate industry, um, a lot of people are coming from traditional real estate industry backgrounds, um, which are not using uh, they're, they're not the Facebooks, they're not the Googles, and they're still doing really interesting things, have a lot of really important knowledge around, uh, around the industry and best practices and things like that. So especially in an industry like real estate, I think a data person's responsibility is to help educate people a little bit on the journey and, and be really patient along that journey. It's a, it's a whole process. Uh, Things like p-values and uh, and like uh, cohort analysis are not necessarily the they're they're not in the vernacular of, of the common real estate agent. Yes, and and so being really understanding that there's a whole there's a whole series of steps and along the way, and, and some sometimes people are are going to misunderstand things and, and be patient with that is is a really important piece. For for a, a data person in these types of settings, um, along along that as well, I think the the biggest value add that a data person can have in these settings is is helping people make that transition, helping people to understand that a median is more important, or or a better a better representative or a better metric than than an average in in particular settings, and helping people to use data to make their own decisions on a regular basis is really useful. So I think that's kind of point number one. But point number two is is that uh, data access is oftentimes a, a, a big challenge for for particular professionals within the real estate space, and, and this is probably translatable across many, many industries. Uh, there are so many different corner cases along the customer journey where it would be useful for support teams or individuals to be able to reach out and provide proactive support um, in, in that customer's life cycle. So providing just data access itself, downloadable lists, and, um, and information around which customers are getting stuck and, and why they're getting stuck in, in their customer journey is, is super, super valuable. It's, uh, 
I think that's kind of the the base the base layer almost in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs for for data usage is is that real foundational data access and and good understanding of metrics, um, and that's where the, the the biggest value add is for for a data professional, not in the the kind of fancier machine learning and and statistical work. So you're talking about uh, certainly data access is one big thing, and you're talking about uh, sort of like the aptitude of of understanding some of that data. And we, the term data literacy is used, or data literacy is used often now, and more and more, and actually surprisingly in South Africa where we are is actually one of the highest uh, search rates for Google when you look at uh, other uh, countries. So uh, so data literacy, uh, what, how have you seen organizations and like work with their customers to get more data literate, like in this case, real estate agents or other dynamics? Talk a little about what you've seen work well so that people, get data literate of people that you want data literate? Because I mean, if you're gonna be doing stuff as your data or your data product manager, that to me is a really important thing. Like if they don't understand what you're talking about, they don't see the value in what you're, you're doing, uh, then it's, it's mm. gonna be a disconnect. For sure, for sure. I think, so I think some some common strategies or some good strategies to use when, when helping to, to kind of take people along that journey and get them from wherever they are to being more data literate and being data literate enough to make the decisions that they need. Uh, a, a key component of this is, is expectation setting and helping people to understand the output that they're, they're gonna get. So walking people through the, the mindset of what's the, what are, what's the business question that I have? And what's the decision I wanna make? What's the decision point that I wanna make around this, this business question? Uh, for example, I, a, like a marketing question might be, what's my marketing campaigns is, is working the best and then trying to understand what does the best mean and, and helping people to understand that these things can be construed a, a variety of ways. So helping people to get more specific with the questions that they ask is a, a useful first step. But it also allows you, once you have that specificity and you're delivering an answer to that question, say best means the most ROI positive campaigns and we want to invest in um, campaigns that are um, in this range of ROI positive, we want to throw 80% of our budget in those and blah, 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 we'll can these ones. Um, once you get to that point, walking them through the output of this is now how you use this to, to make decisions. Um, this particular report that's constantly updating, things like that. That, I think, helps people understand the process that a person goes through. They can ask better and better questions, but also it's key in that to deliver value, especially in those first those first three those first three interactions. Uh, so that way, people see ah, if I go through this process, I end up with a result, and this result allows me to to do my job better. And um, and and also acknowledging that like I think from a the the other strategy I think is also much more on the analyst side is understanding that best analysis for you might not be the best analysis for the end user. Uh, yes, a, a kind of cohort analysis might be incredibly useful to, to, to track and monitor a particular, uh, a particular KPI or a particular kind of trend, um, but for an end user, they might need to see something in much more of a spot rate fashion in order for them to just get it and understand where these numbers are coming from. And saying to yourself, you know, if what do I really lose in that transition? Do I lose anything important? Does this inspire the wrong action? Or does this allow people to uh, perform the right action 
and under, and also have trust in the, the, the numbers themselves is really, really important. And so there's kind of a, a moment where I think the, the data person has to check their ego a little bit more at the door and, and really think about what are, what are the outcomes that I'm trying to drive? Am I trying to drive the right, the right decisions or am I trying to be right here? Yeah. Uh, and, and deferring to the, to the former and being okay with iterating towards something that's usable is, is much more important than, than being totally right. That's well stated. I mean, I think uh, a lot of things that make a successful product manager, that level of empathy and understanding like you don't have to always be making the decision. You don't have to always be the person that's right. And you're, you're trying to get a team working together. And that's just as important in the data realm. In my experience, like, if you're going to be a very successful data person, whether it's an analyst, data scientist, whatever you want to call it, you know, those, those same type of traits. Um, what other traits do you think make a good and well do you agree with that and then what other traits do you think mm -hmm. would make a, a successful data product manager if you're going to say hey these are these are the traits that if you're if you've got these you're going to be good at this i mean maybe you want to you know make that transition for sure for sure i think um i i do agree with you that a lot of the there's a lot of similarities and uh, i'd also tack onto the list it the ability to work with a variety of different people across different parts of the business. Um, perhaps the empathy allows you to do that. I think empathy and curiosity are really, really, really important um, parts of the, the analytical cycle. Understanding, I think curiosity oftentimes gets talked up a lot mm -hmm. for, for an analyst, and empathy gets talked up a lot for a product person. Um, and I think I think that the two disciplines can learn a lot from each other, and the for the analyst to avoid the common trap of going down a rabbit hole, they need to or or developing something that's that's uh, too much or too little for for somebody. They need to uh, they need to step into the other person's shoes and step into the stakeholder's shoes to understand what what are they going to do and how are they going to use it. Are they actually going to be able to log into another platform to do to. to to look at this chart that I produced for them, uh, that allows the the analyst to be a lot more uh, add a lot more value. But also on the product side, I think uh, that to be endlessly curious is important because sometimes when you're having user interviews and you're you're talking to somebody and you you really step into their shoes, you might say, okay, well, this is how they feel, but you end up in the kind of Henry Ford situation, which is like if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Uh, and so starting to question some of those assumptions and, and, and dig a little bit deeper is something that is a really useful trait brought over from the, the analytical realm, the analyst realm, um, as, as well as taking some of those pieces of information that might be provided to you and, and questioning those numbers if they just don't sit right with you. Um, so I think those these two disciplines have a lot to, to learn from each other in those, those particular ways. Share with the audience that you think uh, would help. Sure. Yeah, okay. I, I just think that it, there's no there's no more exciting time to get involved in, in this space um, than now. It's just the the type the types of technologies that are available now just were, were would be figments of somebody's imagination. Even like I feel like you know, ten years ago, five years ago, and and uh, and I think that uh, we're in for a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, so it's just fun, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So, so, and if people wanted to get a hold of you, whether it's uh, like online or if, if you're willing to share an email, how would they go about that? 
Uh, for sure. I think the, the best way to reach out to me is, is via LinkedIn. Yeah. Excellent. And, and maybe they'll find you somewhere uh, around the world, right? You're in Cape Town now. You've been in London. You've been in the States. And you, you did the whole remote. You're traveling around the world. So who knows where they'll find you. Absolutely. And if I don't catch you here, find me on uh, on the uh, DBT Slack group, I guess. That's yeah. the, the Slack group that's managed by the uh, Fishtown Analytics guys. And uh, we'll link up and we'll talk more about data stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff, for being here. The Data Able Podcast is produced by Dave Mathias and Matt Jesser and made possible by Beyond the Data. At Beyond the Data, we are on a mission to help high-performing individuals successfully become champions for a more data-driven approach in their organizations. We believe that data science is only part of the equation. Getting value out of data requires building a culture that starts with you, is supported by executives, and trickles down to every facet of your organization. You can learn more about Beyond the Data and our approach at gobeyondthedata.com. Thank you.